Hello, and welcome back to the Med Career Ed Podcast. I'm your host, Ashna, and this is the third and final episode in our physical therapy series. Last week, I spoke with Dr. Haribai, a physical therapist with her own practice in El Paso, Texas. We learned about how she treats various patients with conditions such as fibromyalgia and osteoarthritis using techniques such as dry needling. This week, I'm speaking with Smitha, a professor in the DPT, or Doctorate of Physical Therapy Department at NYU. We will be discussing various realms of PT, including working in both large and small institutes, as well as research. Additionally, we will dive in-depth into how Smitha's research is currently helping to improve quality of life and increase the lifespans of patients with diabetes. So if you're interested, keep listening. In today's episode, I'm joined by Smitha, a professor in, uh, in the DPT program at NYU. Welcome, Smitha. Thank you. Thank you, Ashna, for having me. This is super exciting. Thank you. It's great to have you here. Um, I'm really excited to learn more about your journey in PT and how you ended up at NYU and as a professor. So I would like to start off if you could tell us about your journey and how you became interested in PT and then ended up as a professor. Um, So uh, this actually brings back some really fond memories. Uh, Way back when, as a teenager, I wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do. And I grew up in Mumbai and we sort of had to make that decision um, by the time we were around 18, you know, sort of after, um, after high school. And I was strongly advised, I was strongly encouraged to, to volunteer. And the place um, that I ended up volunteering at, most unfortunate and politically incorrect choice of name at the time, it was called the Spastic Society of India. But they did some incredible work with children with cerebral palsy. Uh, so long story short, I spent a summer there and it was easily the most fun, the most fulfilling thing you know, I did. I spent time. So this was a school-based setting uh, and there were kids with cerebral palsy, uh, polio, other developmental disabilities, and they were offered physical therapy, speech therapy, occupational therapy in their school setting. And I was a volunteer. I was allowed to shadow, you know, all these different sites. So something just kind of clicked. And, and that was when you know, I, I decided that this is what I'd like to put, I'd like to pursue. Um, I went to school in India and then came to um, pursue uh, graduate studies at Iowa, where I met Ashna's mom. So very fond memories there. And uh, the path, so there's many different sort of areas or niche. There's many different settings in which you know you you can practice as a PT and uh, I really enjoyed the variety so I've had the opportunity to work with children in um, a different time of my life I had the opportunity to do physical therapy in a hospital setting um, in private practice in outpatient settings so I really like the the variety the um, setting as well as the patient population and uh to this day, you know, it it I I find new applications, new settings. Um, so that's kind of my my journey. Started, uh, fell in love with the profession, went to school, became a clinician, 
and then worked on like a more research trajectory to end up um, as faculty. Um, so specifically about, um, you were saying variety. So how did you find the differences between working at a private institution or a larger institution like a hospital? That's a great question. For a lot of us, you know, graduating from a healthcare program, we are again strongly advised to maybe start as uh, a clinician in a large institution, and that's so that you get the opportunity to rotate. You know, you you don't um, you you get the benefit of experience. You really get uh, to see that continuum of care. What happens when someone is really really sick, and then how do they transition? Maybe through inpatient. Uh, through subacute rehab, you know, uh, how are decisions made to decide what their next level of care should be, you know. So um, I was fortunate that uh, I was able to, you know, take advantage of that offer, start in a hospital setting, inpatient setting, um, have the opportunity to work as part of a team, uh, and then explore, you know, other options. So like I said, Private practice, very, very interesting. It, it's, a, it, it's kind of a different demographic because, you know, unlike the hospital settings, patients are able to walk in, walk out. They're very highly motivated. They're higher functioning, very highly motivated. Their goals uh, are higher than, you know, someone that, that's maybe just getting discharged from the hospital. Um, and so they're very fun to work with, you know, this, this private practice setting. And then I also worked uh, for a nonprofit at a pro bono clinic. And that was, again, just tremendously eye-opening, tremendously challenging. This was um, in a mid-sized town. It was in upstate New York. And the nonprofit was run by... Uh, a Catholic uh, order. They were extremely organized, very deeply rooted in the community. And the population that they served had no insurance coverage at all. So there were no third party payers involved. And so it was, uh, you know, talk about health disparities. So it was a great, you know, great opportunity to see, um, you know, some of these um some of these health justice issues really play out in, in rehab in, in terms of, you know, the, the, the care that someone would receive um, just in a different setting. So I, I, th I think having that kind of experience, uh, doing both sort of pediatrics and adults, doing a, a bunch of different settings is, is one of the most rewarding things about being a PT. Wow, yeah, I think the connection that you're able to build with your patients and like watching them improve is like a really um, eye-opening aspect to get to see. Yes, and honestly, that is what I think is a big draw for a lot of people that choose to pursue this profession. You know, in, in this day and age, uh, we feel very lucky as physical therapists to have the amount of time that we do with our patients. Um, even in very busy sites, a typical PT visit will be at least 30 minutes, more likely, you know, 45, if you're lucky, then, then 60 minutes, you know. And then we get to see our patients often, you know. Uh, we, we In outpatient physical therapy, uh, it's not unusual 
to be able to see a patient maybe six times or, or 12 times within, you know, a, a six to 12 week period. And not a lot of healthcare professions, you know, can, can say that. So we feel that that strong sense of connection, you know, like you said, um, and, and we're, a, we're able to tell a story, like connect some dots, you know, just because we, we get to know the patient or, over that period of time. Yeah, I think that's a really, you know, a positive aspect that is kind of interesting to a lot of people. But also, I was wondering, do you feel that you get more of that opportunity to connect with your patients and like see them over a longer period of time in like a private institution, whereas in a hospital, is that less or about the same? That's a good question. Um Usually in a hospital setting, patients often tend to be a little bit sicker, you know, so so their um, goals may be very different, you know. So I think in terms of time, uh, whether we're in a hospital setting or, you know, in a, in a private practice setting, there's still, you know, like, like all healthcare professionals, there's a whole bunch of notes to be written and letters to be, you know, um, sent out for coordination of care. You know, the, the reality is that in this day and age, no healthcare profession is in a silo or in an island, right? We're, we're more effective if we communicate in a way that, you know, establishes really solid continuity of care. So as a PT, you know, if I get a script from um, a referring source, whether it's a physician or a podiatrist or a surgeon, you know, it, it really helps to circle back to them, you know, um, to keep those channels of communication open. And that's just an example of sort of private practice. So whether, you know, inpatient, outpatient, um, I, I think the connection is still strong. The challenges may be different, you know, um, patient priorities, patient needs may be a little bit different. Um, but I certainly think, you know, there's time pressure everywhere. The sense of connection is a little bit different, but, but still strong, you know, uh, across these different settings. I think that's also like, you know, some things to consider where people might be thinking that a certain environment might be better for them in terms of where they might succeed more in a private or in a larger institution, as you were saying. Yeah, that's that that's very true. You know, and and like I said, a, a profession that that allows some flexibility, you know, um some some people like the certainty of knowing you know, this is my job. I'm the respiratory um, unit physical therapist. I'm the pulmonary rehab, you know, physical therapist. That's, that's fantastic. But if, if you like the variety, you know, and I, and I know a lot of uh, my, my colleagues, you know, especially uh, those who are fresh out of school really enjoy learning and trying new things out. So they want to be you know, on a post-op floor and then maybe switch to outpatient neuro and then switch to hand therapy, you know? So, so that uh, sort of keeps us fresh, keeps us from, you know, kind of coasting. Right. So there's a lot of opportunity to kind of change your mind and go into different <laughs> paths within PT. 
Absolutely, absolutely. You'll also see that in terms of um, PT education. So there'll be some programs that say, look, we're going to train you to be generalist. You can start in a travel position in Arizona, or you can start in a beautiful, you know, concierge-based boutique practice in Soho, and you'll have the skills to hit the ground running, right? So there's some programs that train generalists. And then other programs say, uh, you can do an elective. If you really, really, really want to do pediatrics, then you can take, you know, an, an elective course. So there is, you know, some flexibility in, in terms of, you um, do you want to specialize? Do you want to stay general? And then PTs are tending to do residency programs these days. And the residency offers, again, another opportunity to sort of deepen skills, deepen education in an area of interest. So is this similar to a med school, like after med school residency? So this would be after your DPT? Exactly. Yeah. So most DPT programs will take anywhere between two to three and a half years. And then residency programs are usually about a year long. Each residency program has like a didactic component, a school-based component, um, and then a mentored clinical practice component where you practice as an independent PT, but with some feedback, with some you know supervision by a mentor. And, you know, a lot of PTs find this mentorship aspect to be really, really valuable. You know, whether you're a new grad starting out or someone who's been in acute care for seven years and would like to change, do something, you know, different. And so they pick a, a residency pathway. So that's often what brings people back to do a residency. Right. So connecting back to the flexibility and we were talking about focusing on different specialties. I know that you're doing a lot of research with diabetes patients in PT. So can you tell us a little more about what it is that you're doing and how there you found the connection between diabetes and PT? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so one of the things, you, you know, when, when, when I trained in, in India, um, non-communicable diseases were just sort of it, it was a it was a beginning of that era you know um and now 10 15 years down the road uh they are the leading cause of morbidity and mortality they're the leading cause of people being sick and people dying you know so uh we've we've on on the one hand medical um progress has done an amazing job um you know, uh, dealing with infectious diseases. I mean, look how quickly we have a vaccine even to, to COVID. But our biggest cause of, you know, sickness and death is are now non-communicable diseases. So uh, diabetes, you know, uh, chronic uh, diseases like hypertension, arthritis. And to me, what's, what's fascinating is, you know, whether I'm, whatever aspect of PT I practice in, whether it's pulmonary rehab, cancer rehab, women's health, someone with a non, an underlying non-communicable disease is, is at higher risk for a lot of adverse you know, outcomes. Um, and these adverse outcomes, it, it's like falling off you know, a, a, a cliff. The, the drop in physical function, in quality of life is, is really drastic. And, and diabetes is personal. 
you know my my grandfather had diabetes i watched his his siblings had diabetes uh, i watched him go from this really jovial positive optimist to someone who was really worried about losing his foot you know and he carried it with with grace he he carried it with with so much strength um and to think that how we walk or the shoes that we wear can have you know such an enormous uh, effect on our you know on our health and uh, lifespan uh really motivated me to sort of dig deeper when i wear my researcher hat i get to explore what is it about movement that influences you know health outcomes is it how much we move is it the quality of our of our movement and and most recently we were funded uh to examine some of the mechanisms that underlie exercise related adaptations so what's what what's not a surprise is almost everyone with diabetes gets a recommendation you know to to exercise and that can be daunting because you know sometimes joints hurt exercise doesn't feel right is it supposed to feel hard is it you know should shouldn't this be easier so sometimes it can be hard you know to get started and that's where having a pt background having a pt supervise can be super helpful so i have a lot of really fantastic research collaborators who've demonstrated that exercise is safe um exercise works in terms of you know improving blood glucose improving um muscle quality improving you know physical disability so they laid a lot of the groundwork for us and in our project i get to collaborate with some incredible scientists in radiology and they have developed mri which is non invasive no radiation is associated with um mri they've developed mri techniques so that we can evaluate muscle and nerve um and and examine exercise related adaptations so in a nutshell the question that we're trying to answer is can a skeletal can skeletal muscle can it regenerate with exercise in someone that has diabetes and neuropathy and are we able to see that with with mri but but let me just stop there and see if that you know answered the question and and maybe raises raises some others yeah it definitely did and it's interesting to see how you guys are able to kind of fill in the gaps between what is maybe prescribed by a doctor of someone with diabetes and like between that and what they're actually able to do on their own you're able to fill in some of those doubts exactly exactly and um i've uh, i've been fortunate that there is a lot of innovation in this area so in addition to you know this incredible team of scientists that do mri that can literally visualize what's happening at the the tissue level i've also worked with uh, engineers who've developed you know different feedback uh, based wearable devices you know so our patients with diabetes again the good news is patients with diabetes are surviving longer and longer despite their complications you know despite neuropathy despite having uh, diabetes and we had the opportunity to do a case study using insoles that essentially send a beep to your smartwatch if you know something's going on with your feet so there's a lot of innovation in the area and especially in in the area of of rehab and diabetes so it's a really exciting time to be doing this work Yeah for sure it seems like there's a lot of things that are like constantly changing and you're able to 
provide like better futures for people with diabetes. So I was also wondering specifically, like how are like what is your research focusing on right now, and also how are um, you know students in your DPT program able to get involved with this research? Uh, absolutely. So we have a number of projects going on right now. Again, the the main thrust of my research agenda is to to understand exercise related adaptations in people with diabetes so we have a couple projects using uh, very innovative mri techniques to figure out what's happening at the tissue level non invasively um, so we're really excited about that we are also collaborating with some groups in engineering and they're able to um, apply, again, very computationally advanced techniques to understand what skeletal muscle is, is doing as it's contracting. You know, just like we get electrical activity in an ECG, uh, this group uses EMG, which is electromyography, electrical activity from skeletal muscle to figure out um, some of the signals that the brain is sending to the muscle, some of the underlying principles of control, you know, when multiple muscles are working together, you know, these are the types of insights that will help us design better treatment um, and also evaluate our patients better. You know, I, I think one thing clinicians struggle with is no two patients are alike, right? This is what makes PT and art as well as science. And some of these tools help us, you know, they give us a language to sort of describe that, that heterogeneity. Um, so I'm super excited about those. It's hard to be involved in research in a DPT program. So we usually tell our students, you know, especially at NYU, it's a very rigorous program. You've got to hunker down. DPT is your first priority. But then we do get, you know, a small handful who are able to pull it off. They're able to juggle school and take on, you know, additional responsibilities of doing research. And um, honestly, they've been very successful. You know, so, so it's been um, amazing working with DPT students. They've helped with writing with working with the participants you know it, it it brings the didactic material to life for them because they can see how this you know how this all comes together when you're working with a real person right it, it's not just in a textbook or uh, on a slide right it really gives you that real world kind of application so yeah. do you think that uh, people who are getting involved in research are finding it more beneficial as they move out of the DPT program? Yes, and I, I also have a lot of um, undergrads, you know, who work, uh, who seek out some of these research experiences as they're trying to solidify, uh, you know, where they see themselves in the healthcare landscape, you know. So um, NYU has... Uh, several different, you know, several different schools. So sometimes I get school, students from the engineering school or from the College of Arts and Sciences or from global public health or from nursing, you know, and, and they're interested in seeing, you know, what does PT do, right? Or how does exercise help? Um, more often I get, you know, sophomores, um, seniors, juniors uh, who are just finishing up their undergrad degree and trying to firm up what they want to do 
you know, whether it's pursuing an MD, maybe DO, um, or even uh, a DPT or an OT degree. Uh, we, we also get students who take a gap year, you know, they, they finish their undergraduate degree and then take a little time uh, for a number of reasons. You know, they build up their, their resume, they really figure out, you know, if if nursing or medicine is, is what they want to pursue, um, maybe put away some some savings, you know, um, prepare, you know, take the, the MCAT and that sort of thing. So, so yeah, it's, it's been a good mix, you know, it's been a good mix of people, uh, nice diversity of backgrounds and professions um, wanting to do research. I, I try to fit the what the student wants with like the tasks that, that I have. So sometimes I get people who've had um, a lot of volunteer experience in say an emergency department, they want more of the data analysis or writing experience. And so that's what they'll, they'll end up doing. Other times I have students who are just absolute like straight A's, very quiet, very intense, but they want to be patient facing. They want to deal with, you know, the, the craziness, the messiness of it all. And so that's what we, we try to set up. Um, so I think research can be uh, like participating in a research project can be a great uh, experience to help narrow down or, you know, visualize what future choices may, may resonate. Right. And I think your insight is really good for people who are considering healthcare medicine, you know, to consider the lab experience aspect of it and what that might bring to the table and what experience you might get from there as well that you can't get in the traditional DPT program or whatever it is. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. And so how has this kind of environment changed during COVID and how has, you know, how you go about doing research changed? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> um, so it, it's, been, it, it's, it's been a bumpy ride for sure in terms of learning to teach online. I, I think having made the pivot quickly, um, Last year's cohort, you know, that, that it was really interesting. So, so we went online very quickly and it didn't feel as jarring because we all knew each other. We all sat in the same classroom, you know, January, February, and then March, we went online. So there was a little bit of, you know, uh, connection that we drew on. And then we, as, as a faculty member, as, as the instructor, I scrambled to make sure that I'm up to speed with, with the technology. So COVID, you know, challenged us in, in that way. Since last summer, so in the fall and this year, my institution has been very proactive with having us do uh, twice a week COVID tests. So Everything that can be done online, we do online. And then the stuff that we have to do in person, uh, we meet with social distancing, with protective equipment and with COVID screening uh, in person. Um, so I think this, this will be the year of resilience. You know, this will be the year where we made plans and then went back to the drawing table and made plans again, and then went back to the drawing table and made plans again and discovered that you know what we we did we did okay we did pretty good so i i think yeah so i think covid uh has taught us humility and uh resilience yeah i think it really taught a lot of people and perseverance and all this especially during an ever-changing time so 
along with that, are there any other, I know you said humility and resilience, any other mindsets that you think are, you know, important to have just as you're navigating healthcare, medicine or whatever it is? Oh my goodness. I, I guess the biggest thing that I want to say is I, I think it's okay to fail. I think it's okay to find out that something that, that you th- thought would be absolutely smashing, just wonderful, just fabulous, doesn't really, you know, doesn't really float your boat that much. I, I think that that's actually really freeing and eye-opening. And then you try something else and then, and then you find something else, you know? So I think it's really important to give yourself some freedom. I I tell my first year students, I want you to succeed 60% of the time and fail 40% of the time, because that's when I know you're taking some risks, you know, you're you're stepping outside your your comfort zone. And I think um, success is overrated. Failure is when we really grow and, and really learn, you know, and it's totally okay if, if you don't like it at first. You know, the first time I tried soup dumplings, I didn't like them. And now, you know, I've come so far. (laughs) Right. And I think that it's important to not um, put so much pressure on a single dream or like be so afraid of failure, myself included. I know it's tough, but um, I think it's important to keep in mind, especially in a field that's so ever-changing where it's like you're experiencing so many things, your mind is like bound to change at some point. Exactly, exactly. Seven years into what you first thought was a dream job, you know, you'll be ready to grow, you'll be ready to quit, you know, no one ever uh, starts out as a clinician and says, Oh, I'm going to stay in this job for 35 years. I often tell my students that I'm a recovering perfectionist. And, and so to give to give ourselves permission, you know, to, to not be perfect is, is important. Yeah, I think that's really important to keep in mind. And on that positive note, is there any resources or anything that people who are interested in your research or just PT in general or, you know, the field can like check out in order to grow their interest? Absolutely. So uh, feel free to reach me. I'm Smita, S-M-I-T-A. And, if, you know, you, you can find my NYU site. Uh, our professional organization, APTA, the American Physical Therapy Association, has a lot of resources for um, anyone that's considering a career as a physical therapist or as a physical therapist assistant. So their initiative is called PT Moves Me, PT Moves Me. So feel free to Google those two, look those up. Uh, Student Doctor Network has a lot of really great information, very current information. Um, new grad physical therapy supports, as you can imagine, you know, new grads. So lots of, you know, lots of social media, you know, platforms to, to connect. Um, and again, don't hesitate to reach out. I would absolutely love uh, to chat with you and, and to show you around. All right. That sounds amazing. So I hope that any audience members who are interested in that will take you up on that and check out those two resources. So thank you so much for your time and helping me and our audience um, get to explore more on what it is you do within PT as a professor and also researching within PT. And I found it really fascinating and inspiring. And I hope the rest of our audience did as well. So thank you once again. Oh, you are so welcome. Thank you for having me. 
That concludes our episode. Thank you guys so much for listening. Make sure to check out the resources Smitha mentioned and feel free to DM me on Instagram at medcareered with any further questions or for help getting in touch with Smitha. I hope you enjoyed the physical therapy series and would love any feedback, which you can submit on my website at www.medcareered.com. In our next episode, we will be moving into internal medicine with a current fellow at the Indiana University School of Medicine. So make sure you stay tuned for that, and thank you once again for listening.